a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, I uh, I had a special guest last week in honor of National Adoption Month. That would be Tammy Brinkerhoff, and she is back for another segment with me. And Tammy, you have brought a special guest with you, a familiar face, a familiar voice, but I'd love it if you would introduce your guest. Hey, thank you. I'm so excited to be back, and I'm really excited for our guest. We're going to be talking with Mary Taylor, who's the president of Pro-Life Utah, And she's been a tireless advocate for life for the last six years in our state. And she just is so amazing when it comes to being on top of pro-life legislation. And she's a great leader in the state for people who want to be involved in making sure that these babies are born. And there's so much more to her bio that I'd love to share, but I know that we're short on time and I'd rather talk with Mary. Welcome, Mary. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Tammy. It's great to be here. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Adoption Month, you know, through through your eyes, Mary. I know I've, I've met you before and I've seen the work that you do, and I, I agree with Tammy. You have been a tireless advocate for innocent life and for, uh, for being on the, on the pro-life side of things. Uh, tell me your thoughts about adoption and how that fits into the bigger picture. Of course. You know, adoption is such a selfless, such a loving act. And yet we find that there's a bit of a societal aversion to it. And and I don't know what's behind that. And I think it's really important that we address that. Uh, Our work involves reaching out to women who are abortion minded uh, or abortion vulnerable and giving them the resources to make a different choice. And adoption is one of those choices. And yet it's a really hard sale. Uh, There is a prevailing thought among young women that I'll either have this baby or I'll abort this baby, uh, which is a heartbreaking, heartbreaking situation. Tammy, if you'd like to jump in here with any questions that you have as well, um, have the two of you worked together or I guess I'd like to know, how how did your paths cross? Well, so I'm part of Pro-Life Utah South. And Mary is Pro-Life Utah, and we actually have not met in person yet. So this is kind of fun. <laughs> this is as, as close as we've been just to be able to talk with just this, you know, just ourselves. We've been on meetings together over the last year, and um, I've just been so, so impressed with you and loved every time that I've been a part of what's been going on with Pro-Life Utah So, um, but back to the question regarding birth moms choosing not to adopt or adoption not being on the radar, I think society has changed to the point that people think they can do it on their own. You've you've always got, and we've talked about this before, you've always got grandma there saying, I will help you, honey, this is my grandbaby, and we'll make this work. So grandparents have a huge influence. And I think also we've gotten away from the stigma of um, a single parent raising a child, where before that was a huge part of it, where there was embarrassment and that's gone. That's really not in the cards anymore. So people really 
just think of the two options. You've got abortion or you've got raise the child yourselves. And there have been adoption agencies that have withdrawn because of different reasons. And so it's not prevalent and it's not, people don't see advertisements for adoption like they used to. We don't use the newspaper anymore where there were ad after ad after ad in the classifieds for adoption. And it's just, so it's just not out there anymore. And I feel like it's so important to share our adoption stories, share our families with the rest of the world, and just be a voice for adoption because these children, oftentimes when they are raised by awesome that they chose life, but sometimes they run into some problems down the line and it's not the best for the child to be in that situation with that birth, with that mother because a lot of times she hasn't changed the lifestyle that she was living before that was a really negative lifestyle and it's not a good place to raise a child. So we've just got to do all we can to get the word out that adoption is a wonderful option. It's a win-win for everyone and it, we just have got to get it out louder and clearer. It, it is a win-win and I, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but through multiple different adoption agencies, through private attorneys, the uh, the help and the resources and, and the assistance that's available to a woman who would want to give her baby up for adoption, are, are it's really incredible. And it for a woman who has found herself in a situation, uh, you know, not not the best situation, this is a great opportunity for her to get on her feet. Some of these, most of these adoption agencies will pay all of her living expenses, all of her medical expenses, giving her a chance to go to school or get training or, you know, do all these things. So it's really kind of not only um, a, a chance for this baby, but it's a second chance for her as well. Absolutely. What's the biggest barrier that keeps people from, from, either hearing about this option or, or considering this option. I'm sure both of you have encountered people who um, have either availed themselves of it or regretted that they didn't. Uh, what do they say keeps them from doing so? I think there's two reasons. I think one of them is is this societal uh, opinion, right? That, that, you know, I'm not an incubator. We hear that all the time from the other side, right? I'm not going to take nine months out of my life, um, you, you know, and so there's, there's that thought. Uh, there's also, there's also a bonding that happens when you, when a when a child develops in your womb. There's a bonding that happens, an unavoidable bonding. And the very few adoptions that we have been able to facilitate, uh, it, it's very difficult. It's either very difficult for the mom to part with the baby, or we've had cases where, you know, right at the last minute she changes her mind. Uh, you you cannot get away from that innate bonding that happens. Right. And I think a lot of times too in families as we're, it, it depends on how the, the birth mom was raised. Depends on how they talked about adoption in their family. And if they have anyone in their family who has been adopted or has placed for adoption, that, you know, that positive experience is something that helps the majority of birth moms who do place choose to place but when they don't know people who have, that's something that's just not on their radar. That's very true. We see that all the time. We see that all the time. What other resources uh, do, do the both of you work with in terms of, um, Mary, I know with, with Pro-Life Utah, you're, you're all about uh, um, reaching out to the, to the people who are at risk. Um, 
are, are there places where the two of you come together where, uh, where, I mean, do you recommend adoption agencies? What kind of choices are out there for people? Yeah, certainly we do. Uh, when we talk to a woman who's considering adoption, we put all of her choices on the table and we give all of the resources that make a different cho- choice feasible. I'm sorry, feasible for her. Uh, so so we do. We work with several adoption agencies. We work with a private attorney. Uh, in all of the women that Pro-Life Utah has saved, there has only been a very, very small number that we have been able to get to consider that. Uh, I think some of that, you, you know, and we were all young once, right? And I know that, uh, you know, nine months was forever at one time in my life. It goes by like that right now. And, and my ability to see how my choices were going to play out was much more limited than it is when you're older. And, and so I think, I think that's a lot of it right there is, is you are living in that moment, you're bonded to that baby or you're inconvenienced by that baby or whatever the case may be, making those decisions uh, that are quite honestly, if they're not the right decisions, going to haunt you for the rest of your life. Well, and I, I love and to that, hear, I love to hear you describe it like that, Mary, because um, you know, so, so often it seems like the opposing side is, well, you just want to control people. This is all about taking away people's choices. And it's like, no, this is, this is what you would do if you were, if you were reaching out to a friend or to a loved one and trying to, to help them avoid um, lifelong pain and, and sorrow. Right. So, so you may or may not know my personal, uh, my personal reason for my advocacy, uh, my pro-life ad- advocacy. I had an abortion when I was young. Uh, I had it at, out of fear, out of feeling like I was trapped and had no other choices. I didn't have anybody saying, here, here's some other options for you. Um, and I know from personal experience just how painful that that heartache can be and how long, I mean, this was over 40 years ago and, and the heartache is still raw and, and very painful. So, um, yeah, we, we try to sit down with women and try to get them to think ahead of that, that this is, this choice will, whatever they choose, this choice is with them for the rest of their life. We are up against the clock here, but uh, Mary and Tammy, thank you both for coming on and, and again, helping spread this message of hope for National Adoption Month. Um, Tammy, we're going to have you back on in another week to talk about this, and uh, God bless both of you for the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thanks so much. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I would like to give a quick shout out here to garagedoorproservices.com. It's a local company to St. George, Utah, Cedar City, Utah, Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City, Arizona, basically serving one of the most beautiful corners of the United States with installation, service, and repair for garage doors, whether it's commercial, whether it's residential. These are the folks you want to talk to. By the way, I don't know if you if you store like food storage or anything like that in your garage, but talk to them about insulated garage doors. I remember when I lived in St. George, that was that was the key between uh, suffering and, and, and enjoying summer. 
An insulated garage door made everything so much more pleasant. If you need to get in touch with them, call 435-525-2773. Better still, go to Garage Door Pro's website, garagedoorproservices.com. And when you talk to them, please let them know that their message reached your ears via this program. All right, some thoughts on the uh, midterm elections. I've been, I've been seeing a lot of uh, people digesting this. Okay, what happened? Where? What happened to the red wave? And the truth of the matter is, really, you know, it uh, it, it really it didn't happen. It, it, it wasn't a complete wash, but it was, it was maybe barely a trickle. I, basically, what I found myself doing yesterday was, was kind of uh, consoling myself that, wow, I've just got to accept the reality that the juggernaut, which is, is out of control government, is not going to slow down. And, you know, I'm not just going to pin this on the Democrats. It's all their fault. This is, this is totally their fault. A lot of it is, the last couple of years, some of the worst policies that I have seen in my lifetime have been foisted on us by the party of chaos. But what happened with the Republicans? How is it that... that uh, I, actually, let me, let me rephrase this, because I want to take it out of just the Democrats versus Republicans. I think most people can still remember what we were going through, even this time last year. How can people still elect the same political leaders who basically put you under house arrest, who closed your businesses, masked your kids, masked you, upheld mandates that said you either get the jab or you lose your job? But they did. I mean, look at Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. She actually made it illegal for people to buy garden seeds. Well, that's not approved. You know, that uh, that wouldn't work. Only food, only this. Whoever gave that authority to her, what good did that do? Even if we were to assume that, okay, well, she had legitimate authority to do this, it did no good. It didn't stop the spread of the virus. It didn't save any lives. All it did was impose difficulties on people. And yet... You know, a lot of these same uh, elected officials were put back into office. Which kind of raises the question, what exactly would it take? How bad would things have to get before people would finally say enough and put their foot down? I mean, you did did see little bits of it here and there. There were just a few little places where where people said, okay, we're not going to put up with this anymore. But by and large... You know, Leviathan continues to do what Leviathan does. It's crazy. I watched very closely uh, in my home state of Idaho where uh, Ammon Bundy was running for governor. And, you know, it's so funny to see the press wasn't sure what to do about him. First of all, we'll ignore him. We got to ignore him. And then when they realized, oh, my gosh, this guy's getting traction. This guy is is actually, uh, you know, people are starting to show up to his rallies. People are listening. I see signs out, you know. So they had to, to go into full smear mode. And yet, uh, in, in the governor's race, Ammon didn't win, by the way. He, uh, he lost to the Republican incumbent, Brad Little, who was a lockdown, you know, aficionado, one of those people who pushed him and then denied, oh, we never locked anything down. What are you talking about? Gaslighted the people as well. But hey, Idaho, you know, we, we sent him back to office. All right. But Ammon garnered about 16% of the vote. Now, the Democratic challenger... <laughs> Most people barely even knew his name. I think he garnered 20% of the vote. Statistically, that's very, very close. Close enough that it's like, wow, that's, uh, I mean, he, Ammon came in a close third 
to the Democratic challenger. The governor, I think, picked up like 60% of the vote. But that's over 100,000 people in the state of Idaho who voted for Ammon Bundy. And, you know, it's funny to see the the spin that the press is on. Well, that's 100,000 people that were, you know, uh, they were susceptible to misinformation and uh, and manipulative content. (laughs) And and I want to tell them, no, no, actually, uh, the reason you're bitching right now is because you recognize that's 100,000 people who didn't buy the load of crap that you've been been beaming towards us about Ammon. In other words, your manipulative content, your misinformation was rejected. Now, frankly, I'm, I'm kind of happy for Ammon because uh, he already has some, some pretty good targets on his back. And, and being a politician would just, it, it would be the same thing that, uh, that Trump saw, right? From, from the moment he was elected till he took office and until he was, you know, uh, shown the door after the 2020 election, uh, he had a huge target on him and people working around the clock to find any reason, anything at all to try to either uh, to destroy whatever he was doing or throw a monkey wrench into the works or to get him out of office. And it would be the same. But uh, for, for Ammon? You know, I don't know what his next, I don't know what his plans are. Look, the guy has built successful multi-million dollar businesses. He has built a very successful organization, People's Rights, which I expect will continue. And the the awareness is growing. And frankly, 100,000 people who were willing to buck the convention of, well, you know, we got to go with, got to go with the Republican here. You know, I'm very happy to see that, uh, that there are people who are awake to what's happening, to what's being done to us by the political class. And I'm grateful that Ammon doesn't have to carry the uh, the burden of being a politician. He's still free to go out there and to to be a voice for liberty without having to to jump through all the hoops that uh, and go through all the scrutiny that politicians are going to go through. Oh yeah, he's still going to have detractors and you know the the powers that be are still terrified of him and really they should be because he is offering an alternative to their bad behavior. I think it was Machiavelli who talked about sometimes a return to first principles in a republic comes about because of one man's example. In other words, one guy who's willing to stand up and live principles can influence people. And of course, it enrages those who are in power because uh, by contrast and by comparison, they're shown to be, you know, the power-hungry opportunists that they are. So anyway, Sorry to, to go off on that tangent, but it's it's kind of an optimistic thing in the sense that uh, there are people who are becoming aware, but the the part that I'm still trying to get my mind around is why does it take so long? Why is it why is it so hard to get people to see what's going on? Ken McManigle actually had a really great essay about the promises of politicians are impossible. And he says, politicians are always promising to do things politicians can't do. Either they believe their magic or they want you to believe they are. Sometimes they promise things they can't legally do, things that violate the Constitution. Other times they promise to do things that aren't possible within the laws of physics in our universe. Do they believe you're gullible enough to fall for it? Probably. Often they promise to violate economic reality, which is nearly as immutable as the laws of physics. He says, I've seen them promise to cap medication prices. I saw one suggestion that the cap for the price of insulin should be zero dollars. Well, who did she think would continue to make insulin for free? Who would they enslave to do the work without being paid? Who will they steal the raw ingredients and the facility from? Did she mean everyone except the person getting the insulin will be forced to pay for it? Because that's usually what politicians mean by the word free. 
So economic ignorance is common in politicians, but it's not the only domain where they fail. They're never good with scientific reality either, like save the planet, save the climate, end the fossil fuels. And of course, the Constitution's a frequent target of their delusions of power. Regardless of what the Constitution allows or forbids, they promise to secure the border. With zero understanding of human nature, they believe legislation and cruel enforcement can end drug abuse. They promise to ban an imaginary category of firearms, assault weapons, a name they made up so they could put it on anything that they don't like into that meaningless category. And it's still a lie. And they've been corrected enough to know it by now, but if they banned everything they labeled an assault weapon, it would increase crime in a very real way because prohibition always does. His point is, if you keep falling for political promises, you deserve what you get. And he says, my hope is that you'll see through their lies and avoid the pain that comes from trying to cheat reality. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. And a quick shout out here to MonticelloCollege.org, also LifesavingFood.com and HSLAmmo.com. Now, I don't want to spend too much time obsessing over the elections, but I do want to share what I think is possibly one of the better takes from uh, James Bovard. I, I love his writing. He has been in Washington and around Washington for, for a long time. And, and I don't say that in the sense that, yes, he's part of the machinery. No, he is actually one of the few people who really can speak to what the monster in Washington, D.C. is like. And he has uh, been a very staunch and consistent source of opposition to that ever-growing, metastasizing cancer of out-of-control government. I like his take, too, on the, uh, on the, the election. He says the biggest winners of the midterms were cynics who don't expect better governance. Here's what Bovard says. He says, Cynics had another great election day on Tuesday. Expectations of a vast red wave became little more than scattered sightings of Democratic roadkill. President Joe Biden took a no-red-wave victory lap in a White House press conference on Wednesday and promised to make no changes to his policies. Well, it's hard to improve on perfection, even though his party probably lost control of the House of Representatives and may lose the Senate. Now, while some commentators hail the results as a reaffirmation of constitutionalism, almost all the politicians who trampled the Constitution got reelected. Governor Gretchen Whitmer enraged Michiganders by placing the entire state under house arrest after the outbreak of COVID-19, even imposing a $1,000 fine on anyone who left home to visit family members. She garnered 2.4 million votes, 54% of those cast. Governor Kathy Hochul perpetuated the repressive COVID policies Governor Andrew Cuomo started, including seeking to com- compel all school kids to get COVID vaccinations that provide no protection for youngsters. Despite her scoffing at New Yorkers' fears of soaring crime, Hochul received more than 3 million votes, winning 53% to 47%. Other governors who imposed COVID lockdowns were also reelected. And he asks, is America becoming a cagekeeper democracy? where the voters merely select the politicians who place them under house arrest? Before the election, conservative pundits predicted that GOP congressional victories would impose a restraining order on Biden. Instead, most of the new batch of members of Congress will simply become complicit complicit rather, in his misgovernment. If the Republicans fail to capture control of the Senate, Biden will continue to have a rubber stamp for leftist judges and zealous appointees. 
The Constitution will continue to be little more than a throwaway line for federal proclamations that almost nobody reads. In his press conference, Biden declared, I especially want to thank the young people of this nation. Well, why not? Biden deluged them with federal dollars to bail out his Democratic allies. His $500 billion-plus student loan forgiveness scheme was widely condemned. Even the Washington Post editorial page slammed it as a regressive, expensive mistake. But the handouts helped the Democrats buy their biggest boost among voters. A 28% advantage over Republicans in voters ages 18 to 29, improving on the Dems' 2020 performance. So it won't matter if federal courts strike down the loan forgiveness as illegal. The votes have already been delivered. By the way, Democrats also did great with the least recognized swing group, capturing 64% of non-binary voters. Doing his best imitation of Abe Lincoln, Biden declared rather that he hopes Americans begin to treat each other with decency, honor, and integrity. Ah. I know. Uh, Bovard says Biden's reversing course after his campaign election to uh, whip up hysteria over Republican fascism. So according to an Associated Press analysis, 44% of voters say the future of democracy was their primary consideration. Now, this is almost as many as those listing inflation as their top issue. But while federal data confirm the value of the dollar has fallen 13% since Biden took office, there are no parallel statistics to track political fear-mongering. The laudatory coverage of Biden's Red September speech from Philadelphia and his hysterical Union Station spiel last week helped Democrats frighten enough voters to keep most of their power. At his presser, Biden again whooped up his ec- economic policies as the greatest in American history. Well, unfortunately, the New York Stock Exchange can't mail in a late ballot. The Dow Jones fell 647 points on Wednesday. Republicans can take solace, and at least they did better this week than Bitcoin, which plunged below $16,000. And the election provided plenty of comic relief. The New York Times posted an evidence-based infographic on five ways to soothe election stress, including sticking your face in a bowl of ice water for 30 seconds. That was the only Times recommendation that overlapped with CIA enhanced interrogation guidelines for suspected terrorists. And the fact that the Soothe list omitted beer, well, that's proof of the Times reporters and graphic designers' hopeless elitism. James Bovard says, Though it didn't show up on the official scoreboard, Democrats lost the albatross contest on Tuesday. Former President Donald Trump's cachet took a wallop after he championed bad candidates, including Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania and Herschel Walker in Georgia, potentially costing Republicans control of the Senate again. Biden beamed when asked at his press conference whether he will run again in 2024. He's delaying a formal announcement. Polls, including Tuesday night's exit polls, show large majorities of voters don't want to see him on the ballot again. Democrats are unlikely to discover a pretext to hide Biden in the basement again for the 2024 campaign. So the final tally of the 2022 election still isn't in, but there's scant reason for Americans to expect the federal government to become less less wasteful, intrusive, or deceptive in the next two years. At least the job boom among political humorists should continue. I love it. A little cynicism. There's some tongue-in-cheek, but I think there's also some good, accurate information in there as well. I'll have a link to Jim Bovard's article in my show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Now, when you hear the term Great Awakening, what comes to mind? Right? You think about, oh, the Enlightenment. We think about, you know, uh, you know, some kind of spiritual awakening. I've got an article I'm including in today's show notes from Rod Thompson, which says there's a Great Awakening taking place right now as the American public becomes aware of why they can't trust 
legacy media anymore. In fact, he says a majority of Americans distrust the media. They view the press as the threat. And as usual, the media seems utterly clueless that they've created the darkness in which democracy dies. So Rod Thompson says America's, Americans' Great Awakening is now so well underway that even pollsters and left-of-center opinion writers are finally coming to understand the public's hatred for a legacy corporate media that has fully abandoned any pretense of, of uh, being a common source for information. It's ripped off its mask to reveal itself as the partisan propaganda machine for the state narrative that it has long been undercover. And it's no exaggeration to say the media is the preeminent domestic threat to America. Now, he says, as someone who spent 20 years in daily newspapers and has been working diligently for a generation to wake people up to the dangers of trusting the media, he says, I'm dancing a rare jig of joy, though not without shedding a small tear for what could have been. He says, take a look at what, uh, take a gander at what Peter Savodnik, a left-of-center writer formerly of Vanity Fair and London Guardian, wrote last week after the jaw-dropping Fetterman-Oz debate debacle. Quote, from Russiagate to the lab leak theory to the riots of the summer of 2020 to the effect of school closures during the pandemic, reporters seem increasingly incapable of reporting honestly and comprehensively on the most important issues of the day. Last night, for anyone who was watching the debate with eyes wide open, that much was indisputable. End quote. Now, Savodnik's hardly alone, as we see an increasing array of serious left-wing journalists being red-pilled about their industry and walking away. This would include former New York Times columnist Barry Weiss, also Intercept co-founder Glenn Greenwald, Rolling Stone reporter Matt Taibbi, uh, Vox reporter Matt Iglesias, and even former magazine columnists such as the far-left Atlantic's Andrew Sullivan, just to name a few. Again, not a right-winger among them, but all see what the corporate media has become and at least have the integrity to publicly acknowledge it. But what's essential in any great awakening is that a critical mass of normal people open their eyes wide. Exhibit A that it's happening is nothing short of what's reported in the Washington Post about its own poll with Siena College. Quote, as it turns out, 84% of respondents said yes, the mainstream media posed a threat to democracy, including six in 10 who said it posed a major threat. That was the highest percentage of any of the 10 options the pollsters presented, in part because it was one of the few options for which there was bipartisan support. End quote. Now, that last comment is an attempt at spin, but it just reinforces the reality that Americans of every political stripe are waking up to the threat that a partisan, radicalized, state-aligned media poses to a, three, to a free society. 84%. It's just a shame, you know, this is an aside for me, it's just a shame that that didn't translate into how people voted for those who would represent them in government. And maybe their choices were such that they, you know, they, they really couldn't find anybody who offered a substantive difference. I'm going to come back to this article again here in just a few moments. And, and I've got another one I'm going to share with you, which, uh, you know, you may want to may want to take your uh, mood elevators before we get to that last one. Um, there's there's a storm brewing that some are aware of, but most people are not. We'll talk about that. If you'd like to subscribe to my show notes, can I invite you, please go to my website, thebrianhideshow.com. Click on show notes down at the bottom of the page. You'll see the great big subscribe button. Just drop in your email. And in return, I will send you a copy of those notes complete with hyperlinks to take you right to these articles each and every day that I do the show. It's free of charge, and I will never share, sell, or otherwise give away your email. It stays just between you and me.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Again, thanks for taking the time to, if, if this is your first time ever clicking on the show and you're like, wow, just wanted to see what this was all about. I hope you found something that at least adds a little bit of illumination to your world. Maybe it doesn't solve all your problems, but I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm here to encourage you. Just think about it. Question everything, including what you hear from me. Going back to this article about America's new great awakening. Again, this is from Rod Thompson, published on American Greatness or amgreatness.com. He asks, how could, or who rather, could forget how the Washington Post in the first year of Donald Trump's presidency self-righteously ushered in its new slogan, democracy dies in darkness? Well, he says, as it turns out, Americans believe democracy is dying in America, and they blame the media more than anyone or anything else. Now, the Washington Post is a pack leader fulfilling its own slogan, and yet it is all but guaranteed that virtually no one at the Post or, in it or the rest of the corporate media has the eyes to see what's slapping them in the face. Self-reflection is not their strength. So let's take a look at recent, uh, a recent in-the-news example of how this all works. Ubiquitous in the media is the phrase election deniers, which refers to Americans who question the veracity of official vote totals in states that radically altered election laws in 2020, ostensibly as a response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, given state courts ruled some of those changes were illegal, people have the right to question the outcome of close contests. But Democrats in outfits such as the George George Soros-funded Hillary Clinton-advised Media Matters for America consider all such questions illegitimate and label all those who ask them deniers. See, the obvious intent here is to conjure up images of Holocaust deniers and somehow equate the two things in people's minds. If you do not religiously recite that Biden won the election and it all was entirely on the up and up, you are a threat to democracy. And to ensure that message is pushed out in its entirety, the democracy dies in darkness media kicks into action as the communications arm of the Democratic Party. So a Google search on any given day will return these kinds of headlines. Here's the New York Times, election deniers running for office. Axios, 2020 election denial looms large in Chicago's 2022 midterm. Here's one from NBC. Election deniers advance to November ballots in 27 states, report finds. Politico, Democrats locked in close contest with election deniers for key Secretary of State posts. Yahoo News, Washington state election official faces election denier. Now, Rod Thompson says, look, Americans know there were significant irregularities in the 2020 election. They understand much more than media elitists think. Politico, for example, reports in its daily news blast that election denialism is significant. 60% of all voters say that President Biden won legitimately in 2020, compared with 33% and 65% of Republicans who say he didn't win legitimately. Rod says, as far as I can tell, Politico never used such terminology when Hillary Clinton said her election was stolen and hashtag not my president trended for a year after 2016. Arizona gubernatorial Republican candidate Carrie Lake has repeatedly said journalism has been replaced with propaganda. And she's right. But more importantly, a significant share of the American people now know it. And he includes a Twitter exchange between a GOP Trump war room operative and an NBC reporter. 
In it, the two men are doing the exact same job, except one is honest as a GOP political operative and one is lying to people by claiming to be a fair reporter. So Andrew Clark responding to a, to a tweet from Brom Resnick that says, Carrie Lake dragged Katie, Hog, dragged Katie Hobbs all week for ditching reporters after taping one-on-one gubernatorial interview on AZPBS. Today it was Lake's turn to ditch reporters after taping her one-on-one interview for AZTV. Andrew Clark says, Lake gave three press gaggles this week, including taking a question from you. Then she talked to press after this and still turned around and addressed your question. This is performative journalism at its finest. Wow. Somebody done got served. And even GOP politicians see it. Former Florida Governor Rick Scott, now a U.S. Senator, broke the mold in 2010 when he rejected invitations from 17 state newspaper editorial boards, got none of their endorsements, and won anyway. Twice. Now some major Florida newspapers aren't endorsing at all. Florida Democratic political strategist Steve Scale, who ran Florida's uh, or Obama's Florida campaigns, sees newspaper endorsements as irrelevant. Shale said, let me put it this way. I hadn't noticed if they had endorsed or not endorsed, and I'm a hack who generally lives and breathes this stuff. So Carrie Lake and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis have continued breaking the code in dealing with the overtly hostile media. Don't participate. They hold plenty of press gaggles, of course, but they hit back smoothly and confidently and give no pretense that they're dealing with objective journalists. By the way, that is a breath of fresh air to see. And Rod Thompson says, more please. America's first and second great awakenings in the 18th and 19th centuries were solely Christian in nature, and they wrought dramatic changes in entire regions of the United States that lasted for generations. Rod Thompson asks, what might this great awakening about our national media accomplish? It might be the biggest step yet toward returning the American government to the people to, to be administered by the people and for the people. I'm going to just springboard from that and say, you know... <laughs> As, as much as, as it may not be uh, what you aspire to, but what we need are we need voices of truth and light. And that includes your voice. Well, I'm not a media type. You don't have to be. Are you a person who understands, appreciates, recognizes, and is willing to speak the truth? Then you should step up. You can publish online. You can blog. You can do video blogs. You can you could be a... You can be a social media influencer. You can do a podcast. I know it's like, well, that sounds cliche. What if everybody's doing it? But the point is, enough voices out there speaking the truth will help to get the truth out there and to overcome the darkness that's being force-fed to us by that legacy media. I think people are, are generally starting to understand, yeah, the media's not telling us the whole truth here, but what do we do about it? Well, the answer is very simple. Make them obsolete. I know, easy for you to say. You've been doing this for years. Well, I haven't always uh, I haven't always had the opportunity to do what I'm doing. But there's a lot of innovation that's going on, a lot of doors that have been opened. Maybe we should uh, look for those opportunities to step up and be that light in the darkness. You can take that and run with it as you will. All right. One final note here. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, a storm that uh, that is coming in transportation and and I'm, I'm just going to touch on this somewhat lightly because I don't want to you know I don't want to sit here and preach you know scariness and fear but um, you've probably noticed that if, if you're keeping a, an eye on gas prices gas has stayed pretty steady where I live right now we're paying about 424 a gallon somewhere in there and it's you know it's it's a lot we're definitely feeling it 
But uh, diesel, I'm watching the price of diesel steadily go up. Why is that relevant? Well, every single thing that arrives at a store comes usually under diesel power, whether it's powering the ship that brought it across the ocean, whether it's powering the train that uh, trucked it to various depots or the, the semi that brought it to the store to be unloaded. Diesel fuel is really important, and right now we are facing a, a noticeable and growing shortage of diesel fuel. Now, that's part of the storm, okay? So uh, the diesel, the costs are going up. There's, there's actually a shortage of fuel, I think, a couple of states... I think one of the Dakotas and possibly was it Nebraska have actually declared um, emergencies about uh, the shortage of diesel fuel. That's going to grow. But the thing that we really need to keep an eye on is there is a looming railroad strike. And uh, if you don't live around where train tracks are, and, you know, frankly, I, I've, I've been pretty averse to train tracks for a while, uh, you know, because I don't want the noise. I don't want the sound of train horns or, you know, anything like that. But now I live with train tracks about 100 yards away from, from my home. And a couple times a day a train comes through. It's really not that bad, but so much rail traffic ships so many goods to and fro. It's, it's not a minor thing. And if these, if these railroad workers go on strikes, and it's the unions primarily that are driving this, you could see some really empty store shelves. I'm talking like early March 2020 kind of empty store shelves. The scary kind of empty. So I'm sorry, it, it probably sounds like, Brian, you're peddling fear to us. I, I, that's not my goal. But it's serious enough that I feel like I really want to emphasize this and tell you, if there are things you think you will need, or if there are, are things that you make use of, and I'm talking soap, toothpaste, aluminum foil, whatever it may be, sandwich bags, you know, whatever. This is probably a good time to be stocking up on them. You don't have to run out and buy everything that's on the shelves, but I would start to, I would start planning on shortages and particularly things that, uh, that you take for granted. Look at the stuff you use the most and maybe start making lists and keeping track of, you know, what do we need to, to shore up to where you have the equivalent of a little Walmart right there in your home. Are we being paranoid? I don't know. Maybe it'll all amount to nothing, but uh, you know what? Those rising gas prices and that pain that I feel in my pocketbook every time I gas up. Tell me that there is something to this. And what's the worst thing that happens? Well, you've just saved yourself a number of trips to the store in the future, assuming that it's stuff that you actually use. So I'm not seeing that as necessarily being a liability. Better to have it and not need it than the other way around. This is The Brian Hyde Show.